Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVM Disrupt podcast. My name is Nujdet Zathurgyan. I'm the editor of the creative text section here at EVN Report. My guest today is Tanya Sahakyan. Tanya is the regional director of Disco, one of the larger tech companies in Armenia. She also has extensive experience in the education sector in Armenia uh, through her work at the Tumo Center. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start with a little bit of your background. Can you tell us how you got started in your career and how you ended up in, in, in Armenia? Sure. So I actually grew up uh, partly in Europe and partly in, in the U.S. Um, I ended up in Armenia the first time uh, at a younger age through a program called Birthright Armenia. And that is how I kept coming back to Armenia. Um, and in 2011, I was visiting Armenia when I was offered the, the position at Tumo and I stayed, uh, but it had been a long-term goal of mine, um, you know, to, to come over and, and work from Armenia. Tanya, let's start with uh, speaking a little bit about the product uh, that the products that Disco has and what problems you guys are trying to solve. Uh, can you explain to us what it is that Disco does? Sure. So Disco is building a platform that lets product managers, marketers, or any decision makers at an organization understand their customers' experience better. So this lets them make them better decisions around their products or around their advertising. For example, our ad measurement product, um, it can ask advertisers, you know, or you can help advertisers uh, on, on the ads that people saw and what they thought about it, or it can track online sales that may have resulted from the ad. And with these solutions, we've, um, you know, our, our clients are the biggest market research firms and advertising uh, companies uh, globally, including the biggest media platforms. Uh, some of our clients, for example, are ESPN, Hulu, Washington Post, to name a few. Um, we have an audience of over 20 million people. And we're able to uh, understand and connect to what they think through surveys that we give them and what they do online through our mobile and desktop applications. And the key uh, piece to this is that people opt in to give us this information. Can you walk us through an example or a case study so that we can better visualize exactly how your customers would use this to gather better insights about their, uh, about their clients? Sure. So, for example, let's take a big media uh, company who has a movie coming out and they have different trailers that um, they would like to test out on their audience. So we could then help them out to better understand, you know, the consumer, how after watching the trailer, uh, how they would behave or what their opinion would be. Uh, whether they would actually go to the movie or after watching the trailer, would they search for, you know, this movie or try to find out more about the actual product. And of course, all of this is opted in. So, so the actual people sharing this information, it's their choice to be doing this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would do that through a survey, for instance, that they would take after the trailer? Yeah. Yeah, either surveys or through our desktop or mobile application. 
So we recently actually did a study that we've published that had quite interesting information. And this is, I think, what differentiates Disco from, from other companies. Um, and the fact was that it revealed that more than uh, 50% of people displayed behaviors that were different uh, than the actual, what they said they were going to do. So for example, we focused on the auto you know, buying industry and you know, what people said that they were going to buy ended up being completely different to what they actually ended up doing. When was Disco founded? Disco itself, not the office in Armenia. So officially, it was founded in 2015 in Glendale, California, uh, by three Armenian-American founders. Okay. And then you guys opened up your office in Armenia in 2018, if I... Yeah. 2018, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? How was, um, how was the decision made to open an office in Armenia and why in Armenia? So by 2018, um, Disco had secured its Series A funding of $13.5 And the mission was to fuel, um, you know, to build out the product very quickly and in order to do this, we, need, we needed great engineering talent. And we already had knowledge and a network that talent existed in Armenia. And that's when I was brought into um, the picture to, to basically come in and launch uh, the branch in Armenia. So you joined Disco specifically for this project? Yes. What were some of the, the challenges with opening up an office in Armenia? Basically, I was asked, it's actually a funny story. Our CEO uh, asked me to join the company and, and he said, can you go to Armenia and help us find this key person, which was our director of engineering. Um, and we had a very specific uh, criteria that we were looking for. And also, obviously, you know, we needed office space. And he said, go for two weeks, uh, a month maximum, do this and come back. And <laughs> to which I replied two weeks. But, um, you know, this is how he thinks yeah. he, the impossible is possible. Right. But thankfully, um, you know, it, it, it was a hard ask. And the one thing I did when I first came to town was, um, you know, just network. And, and the one great thing about the Armenian tech community is, and what sets it apart is how uh, helpful it is. And um, it's very, it's like a family. Uh, so everyone was willing to chip in and make this the disco story a success. Uh, so we were very lucky to hire very quickly in the first two months, 25 um, senior engineers. And I think one of the reasons as well was because we were coming in, it was a transition time when Armenian companies were, were looking not so much to outsource work, but to actually build products in Armenia. Right. And this was very enticing, um, I think for senior engineers specifically, because it gave them that growth opportunity. Um, in, you know, It was an opportunity to do what they would be doing in Silicon Valley, for example, in Armenia itself, building products for global companies and you know world-class products for top-tier clients. Looking back on that experience, is there anything you think that could have made it easier? Um, is there anything that needs to be improved, both maybe from a legal perspective 
in Armenia or from uh, just how the tech sector operates in Armenia that would make it easier for more companies like Disco to open offices in Armenia? Honestly, I can't think of anything because it, it was, this might sound cliche, but it, it, it was a pretty smooth process. Uh, yeah. Everyone was very supportive from the community um, to the government. And we were a pretty big company coming in already and we hired very quickly. So we weren't able to take uh, much use of the you know tax incentives but maybe that can be looked at for, for the future to entice more companies to come in of course the talent pool you know anywhere not just in Armenia is an issue and this is something we like to focus a lot in Armenia and and say it's an Armenia problem but it is not an Armenia problem it is a global problem and, and that is why companies are opening branches globally and now in the post-COVID era it makes it easier to do this. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's been four years now since Disco started, uh, opened their office in Armenia. How big is your team today? Um, in Armenia specifically? In Armenia specifically. Yeah. We're growing so rapidly that it changes daily. But at last count, we were 130 plus in Armenia with 20 uh, interns. 20 so, interns. Yeah. yeah. We're between 30 to 40% of the global company. Mm-hmm. I always hear from junior engineers in Armenia that um, access to internships or um, or entry level positions is so hard to come by at these sort of bigger companies in Armenia. Um, so to hear that there there are twenty internship spots at a company like Disco is exciting. Um, can you talk about what the process is like for you guys to take on interns? Um, is it mostly recruiting at universities, or are there other avenues? We made it a mission last year to what we call give back to the community. Um, You know, the first year, year or two, we were hiring senior talent and basically we were getting all the talent and we we decided it's time for us to cultivate some talent and give back. So we decided to start with one training internship program. And by the end of the year, we had um, eight of them. We had trained over 200 people, including veterans. And um, as I mentioned, we had taken on 25 interns and we've already hired a few of them. Um, The programs are different. We've done everything from product management to Java to QA, DevOps, um, you know, and now we're looking into data and data engineering. And, um, you know, each one has specific criteria. Some of them have prerequisites. Um, some of them don't. For, for example, for veterans, we've made it with no prerequisites because we want to be, um, you know, that opportunity for them to get into the industry. Um, so it depends. Mm-hmm. So when, when you say veterans, you're, you're speaking about veterans of uh, the, the war in 2020. How many veterans have gone through your programs? Yes, so we've had specifically, and this was in partnership with the UIT, each program that we've done, we've partnered with different uh, educational institutions or organizations on the ground. And and the veterans one was through the UIT, um, and we've done a product management, Java, and currently we're finishing this week a QA um, training program. Um, Is there all specifically for veterans? Yes, these are specifically um, for veterans or family members of veterans. How many of them have gone on to take on roles and either add to score or just in, in industry in general? Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, we've had over 200 um, trainees and, and 
obviously we don't have uh, i mean we would like to take everyone but we right, don't have it is part of our giving back to the community there are people who have uh ended up doing an internship at disco um we have hired people as well and there are people who've gone on to other companies uh or back into the training programs to further their education right taking a step back and just looking at your training programs in general not just for veterans whether it be for java or qa or product management how long do they do they typically run for the way we've we've done these programs is there is a training component to it so prior to actually starting an internship uh, we take on a bigger batch of applicants to, uh, into a training program so uh, for four to six months for example right now we're doing one with gitc uh, in javascript where it's a six-month intensive uh, training program and after the program, um, towards the end, there is a selection process and an application process for them to basically interview to become interns. So out of, let's say, the 50 people who were in the training program, there are select spots open for them to then compete for, for those internships. Yeah. Uh, GI, when you say GITC, do you mean the, the center in Gimri? So the center in Gyumri recently this past year actually opened a center in Yerevan, but uh, this specific training program that we're doing includes a lot of applicants from the remote regions. So it's not Yerevan specific. Mm -hmm. And can they work remotely from the regions of Armenia or? Yes. That... In fact, we have an interesting story of we had a, an applicant from Artsakh. Uh, who actually at the time when he applied was was still in the hospital. So he actually did the training program, uh, you know, through his rehab, um, you know, from Artsakh remotely. Yeah. Oh, very cool. What do you think about this general model that uh, companies, especially in Armenia, I've noticed take that, um, that they provide these training programs as a way of really ensuring that the talent pool in Armenia is growing so that they themselves have access to more talent. Do you think this is something that is an effective way of tackling the issue of having enough talent for this sector or, or is it kind of a crutch? Does uh, do more things need to be happening at the university level? My personal philosophy is that um, this is a short-term fix. You yeah. know, every company uh, is focusing on on their specific needs and let's fix it for the next year or two down the line. But looking into long term vision and how to like fix this issue, we definitely know, you know there is a vacuum. There there is a problem that we're trying to fix. So we need to, I think, come to a more united way of doing this um, and bigger scale of you know looking long term how how we can fix this issue. Yeah. Is, is Disco or maybe yourself through some of your other efforts in the past have been involved in things at the university level or the education system level or, or no? We have personally not worked, you know, with universities per se. We have had uh, one, one of our data science internships. We, we um, you know, most of our applicants, we work with the AUA um, program. Uh, but other than that, we haven't had much contact with the universities, unfortunately. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm curious what you're thinking is when you say that uh, this is a short term fix, is the long term fix to have 
university programs that are graduating enough engineers to meet Armenia's talent needs? I think universities, of course, there, there's an importance there. Um, I don't think it's the only factor. I think if we need um, even the tech community to come together and understand what the needs are, and you know, we might need bigger centers to tackle these. Uh, and of course, the industry always needs to work in partnership with uh, the education sector. Um, and I also think this need, you know, the needs come comes from like a younger age. You have to instill this at a younger age, which is why, you know, places like the Tumo Center are important uh, in fixing this issue as well. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about um, sort of capturing people's interests at a younger age, because I had some experience teaching um, Python specifically in uh, in the regions in, in Kapan um, last year. And I was expecting that most of the participants would be, I guess I would say probably younger than they were, but uh, for various reasons, including the fact that this was sort of a you know, you connect to you. You connect from home from your computer and join in in the classes type of thing. The the uh, my class was mostly people like young adults, I would say. And one of the questions that people would ask is, yeah, we let's say we learn Python, but then what do we do with it in in Gapan, for example? And it's an interesting question that I I hadn't considered myself. Um, this is just my own biases, I guess. But it's true. You know, there aren't that many job openings for someone with a programming background in a city like Kapang. And I, I started thinking at the time of how important Tumo's role is because when you're a kid, um, you're not thinking about what your job uh, prospect is gonna be like a year after you take a, a class at, at, at Tumo, um, which is why I think what Tumo's doing now with the expansion into uh, the regions, uh, including opening up a center in in Gapan soon, I think is super important. So you spent uh, a long uh, a long time at at Tumo. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what your experience was like there and what exactly you were doing? Sure, and I can tie it back into sure. the question you had right now. Um, so yes, I was one of the managers at the Tumo Center since its opening in 2011. Um, I was there for about eight plus years. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of obviously growth and learning that was done during that time. And I, the impact that Tumo has had on Armenia and globally, as we will see in the future, is immeasurable, in my opinion. And one of the things that Tumo does teach and the philosophy it has, which does tackle the, the issue that you just brought up, is that, uh, you know, Tumo tries to t- teach its students self-learning. Right. And um, I think that is key because yes, you can go to a training class and learn Python, but unless you don't know how to self-learn and after that follow up and go take online classes and continue whatever it is you learned on your own, yeah. um, you know, everything's going to be limited. And um, I disagree that a, a kid from Gapan can't can't um, find a job because we all know in our post-COVID world, yeah, everything is done remotely. And as I mentioned in our training program, we had uh, a trainee in Artsakh, you know, from doing the training from the hospital. So, right. it, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, and it all comes down to learning how to learn. You know, 
So yeah, yeah, especially especially in this field, um, with how fast things change, uh, constantly being able, able to keep up with uh, with the field and and learning the new things that are acquired is super important. Um, and speaking about remote work possibilities, uh, after Kapan, I spent some time in Gorgis. And in Gorgis, a few months before I had arrived, was the Formula uh, Gorgis conference that was organized by the crowdfunding formula. Um, and one thing that I kept hearing from people, uh, from locals in Gorgis that have participated in the conference was that the idea of remote work, the idea that you can go on a site like Upwork and, and if you learn something like, let's say, digital marketing, you can provide your services on a platform like Upwork or, or find a remote job. It was something that was being presented to them really for the first time um, through like a conference and, and something in the city. Um, and uh, I think I think it's important that we re really like spread this idea and show the, the possibilities there are in this sort of new world post-COVID, but even, even before COVID, there were opportunities like that. I just wanted uh, to add that the it is a fact that now local companies in Armenia, yeah. for example, we're not just competing locally at this point. Right. We're competing in a global sense because a lot of people are taking on these remote jobs. Yeah. Uh, and you know you can also see this with the influx of of recent um, you know visitors or immigrants to Armenia. Yeah, yeah, and the, the talent pool has definitely become global. Let's go back to Disco uh, for a moment. Um, so uh, Disco is one of a few companies now that have been founded by Armenians abroad and then have expanded into Armenia. I'm curious what the the cultural impact uh, of these companies are on the tech sector in Armenia. Um, so when you guys were coming in at 2018, Armenia's tech sector had already was already certainly there. Um, but what we've seen over the last two years, I think, has really uh, has really changed, uh, has really accelerated the growth of the sector. Um, what do you think the biggest uh, impact that these that these California-based companies uh, moving to Armenia? Uh, what is the biggest impact that they have? Bit of a broad question. You can answer it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you an, an example. So, for instance, um, uh, I often hear that these these companies give give members of Armenia's tech tech sector a first a first hand view at what building globally competitive products looks like, as opposed to maybe in the past it was more of a service like industry. Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, when we came in, actually during that same month, I remember. Um, Four other companies from LA were registering in Armenia at the same time. So it was a transition period where we were going from outsourcing work to Armenia to actually building products in Armenia. And I think this was one of the major enticing points at, for Disco because it, you know, the main one of our main products um, was built by engineers in, in you know in Armenia and mm. uh, so uh, it, it's a global product and this transitioned later to then what we see now which is local companies are building now for the global market and so we're out of that Armenia bubble now into a more global stage right okay and um Tanya uh we can close on this question uh where where would you like to see uh both disco and Disco's presence in Armenia be in the five-year time frame? Well, Disco is growing in a very rapid uh, pace. Um, this week, we just announced we acquired a new company as well, um, Feedback Loop. 
we have offices now in New York as well. We're a global company. And I, I honestly just see us growing. We've had to do construction now for the third year in a row because we're expanding so quickly. Um, you know, there's not enough space for, for all of us. So all I can see is growth and we're going to be joining, the, you know, the global companies and Armenia will be part of that story, which is a great story to tell. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.